Our gospel lesson is found in the sixth chapter of Mark. We're reading from verses 30 through 56. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many who were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and then went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was pressing against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks that you are our good shepherd, that you gather us, that you lead us to green pastures, and that our Lord Jesus stands today to teach us. And so, Lord, we ask that you will speak, for your servants are here to listen. Amen. Several years ago, one of my friends that I served in college ministry with, he was actually a student who I had played some part in discipling contracted a brain tumor. It came as a shock to all of us. He was an incredibly bright, gifted young man, and now he was on the edge of death. It was a fairly serious type of cancer, and it was going to call for a radical surgery. And so Martin went into surgery with 
very low prognosis and low hope for the future. The surgery was successful, but it did cause incredible swelling in the brain, and that actually created all kinds of problems and complications post-surgery. And they weren't sure whether he would survive or not. He pulled through it somewhat miraculously, but as he recovered, they noted that his short-term memory was not functioning. Now, Martin is a very good-humored guy. He has all the long-term memories, and so he remembers all the things about college ministry and perhaps the things he should forget. But in casual conversation with you, he will tell you, I'm going to forget we talked about this. Do you remember the time? And then if you see him the next day, he would repeat perhaps the same conversation. He can laugh, and he's figured out how to function. He's trained himself. He's done extremely well for his limitations because he knows that he simply cannot remember things long-term. It's like having a temporary amnesia all the time. And friends, when we look at the disciples, it is like they have a temporary amnesia all the time. What we see is that they are surrounded by Jesus and his great and mighty acts. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. He has calmed storms. He's shown that he's the Lord over all creation. And he is the Lord who will bring new creation, that gospel is breaking into the world in him. And yet the disciples continue to struggle to recognize him. In fact, when we look in chapter 6, we see that the crowds that they recognize Jesus. They see he and his disciples, and they run around the lake chasing him because they knew that even if they touched the fringe of his garment, they could be healed. So the crowds know who he is. And at the end of, uh, this is in verse 33, it says, Now when they saw him, they were going and recognized them. And there they ran on foot from all the surrounding towns and regions. And then in verse 54, And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And so the crowds understand who Jesus is. And yet it's the disciples who continue to struggle. Despite all their proximity, despite their familiarity with Jesus, despite seeing firsthand miraculous power, when they're out on the sea in the middle of a pressing and raging storm, note what Mark writes. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is the deepest part of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. The disciples not recognizing Jesus. The crowds recognizing him, the disciples not. And the disciples asking questions of Jesus not truly understanding who he is. And so what is the problem? What is going on in the disciples' lives and what so frequently goes on in our lives in such a similar way as well? The simple conclusion to draw from Mark 6 is that we suffer from a form of spiritual amnesia. That we too are quick to forget. Surrounded by Jesus in proximity with him, Knowing some of his great power, we struggle to actually appropriate it. We struggle to put it into practice. And we look much like the disciples. 
Mark goes on to tell us in verse 52, out on the sea, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The disciples had hard hearts despite everything. If you're reflecting on the psalm from this morning in Psalm 95, it's a wonderful meditation on God's being a shepherd for Israel, bringing them through the waters of the Red Sea, that the great creator is now working out new creation through his plan. And then he says, don't be like that wilderness generation who hardened their hearts. It's a lesson. And the connections between these stories here in Mark 6 and that Exodus event are strong and real. And Jesus is screaming at us not to harden our hearts. In all our familiarity with him, do not miss him. Because we can know all of his great works. We can see his great power. We can even be used by him like the disciples were in the previous chapter. And yet our hearts can be profoundly hard. People could typically ask, well, why is this and how does it happen? If you'll turn with me to Psalm 106, we find this whole theme of God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh, bringing them through the waters of the Red Sea, and then taking them into the wilderness. And we find there that Israel, despite all the benefits she had experienced, collapsed in her faith. Psalm 106 tells this story. In verse 8, yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as through a desert. And he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. And friends, this is the dynamic that so often works itself out in our lives, that we forget the works of God, that the pressing needs of the world around us are more impressive to us than the wonderful works of God and how He's revealed Himself to us in Jesus, and that when we forget those works, Scripture says that we're hardening our hearts, that we're growing calloused that we're shutting out who God is and what He has done for us in Jesus, that we're suffering and limping from a form of spiritual amnesia. So where does amnesia like that leave us? Where does it drop us off? It really only bears three fruits. It leads to cynicism. It leads to distrust it leads to a profound weariness that runs deep down into our bones. And you find the disciples bringing voice to this cynicism and distrust. Jesus takes them out into the wilderness. A large crowd gathers. It's 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and children. This is a small city that is gathered around Jesus. Jesus has told the disciples to not take extravagant measures for their travels. That was what we found in chapter 5. And now he tells them to feed this enormous company of people. You can imagine how they must have felt. 
you told us not to take all this stuff, and now you're telling us to feed all these people. And so they cynically respond, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200 denarii was half a year's wages. So where are we going to come up with this money? We've impoverished ourselves because of you, and now you're telling us to feed this great big crowd. Thank you, Jesus. And the cynicism is real, and it's biting, where it seems that Jesus has delivered them in certain ways, but he's not, he's not finishing the job, that here they are out in the wilderness, and he's leaving them in the lurch. It's actually the same question that Israel asked while they were in the desert. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 78, Psalm 78, verse 19, excuse me, in verse 17, we'll start there. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? That was the question. Was God going to provide for them? After his mighty deliverance from Pharaoh, bringing them through the Red Sea, was God now going to provide for them in their adversity and in their hardship? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? was their cynical question. Of course, some began to say it was better for us back in Egypt. Even when the demands were more bricks and less straw, it was better for us. Even when they destroyed our children, it was better for us. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? And when the disciples asked, are we supposed to come up with 200 denarii to buy all these people bread? They're asking the same question. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness. And it's that kind of cynicism and distrust that leads to a weariness that can occupy our hearts and drag down our spiritual lives. We oftentimes feel that God has delivered us, He has redeemed us, and then He just simply leaves us on our own, that He puts us out in the wilderness to fend for ourselves. And the weariness can set in over the years, and it leads to depression and discouragement. Marilyn Robinson, Pulitzer Prize winning author, has a series of three novels, Gilead, Home, and her newest one, Lila. Lila is a woman who's homeless, she's a vagabond, and she meets one of the main characters, a pastor named Ames. In a conversation, she's weary, she's homeless, and Ames hugs her, and she said, I guess I'm tired. Ames responds, yes, well, and he put his arms around her very carefully, very gently. With her head still resting on his shoulder, she said, I just can't trust you at all. He laughed, a soft sound at her ear, a breath. She started to pull away, but he put his hand on her hair, so she rested her head again. He said, is there anything I can do about that? And she said, nothing I can think of. I don't trust nobody. He said, no wonder you're tired. And friend, that connection between trust and being weary is the crucial one for us. That it's actually easy in our world to grow cynical and distrustful. That is what is easy. What is hard is to live in trust. What is hard is to believe that God will provide Otherwise, we'll just simply always be tired. 
We will be worn out. We'll be suspicious. We'll be fearful. We'll be captured by these things. And this is where our spiritual amnesia leaves us. It leaves us in this very precarious situation where perhaps we've been around God and we know what He has done. We can even recite and say all the things that He's done on our behalf. But in our hearts, we still really wonder whether He can spread a table in the wilderness, whether He will feed us, whether He will complete what He started to do. And so what does he do with our amnesia? What does he do with our cynicism, though? And in our passage, Jesus reminds us of two things, though, as to how God deals with our amnesia and our cynicism. And the first is that he is a compassionate God, and he meets us in our needs. As Jesus encounters this enormous company of people, it's remarkable he doesn't see a problem Rather, he looks on them and sees brokenness. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. That's Jesus' response. He steps in as a shepherd and an overseer. He gathers the people Later, we learn that Jesus sits them on the green grass. It's an intriguing detail that Mark shares with us, and it's most likely shared out of, the, out of the 23rd Psalm that he leads us to green pastures because it's letting us know that this is the Lord who is our shepherd, and in him we shall not want. We shall not be lacking anything that he's compassionate, that he knows our needs, that he's not going to drop us off. He doesn't start something and then just simply quit. But in his infinite compassion, he knows our needs. And friends, in the middle of our distresses, this is what is so hard for us to believe. The green pasture lies on the other side, that there is a good hand guiding and directing our ways and our paths. But this is what he would remind us of, what he would seal to our hearts so that we can trust him, so that we'll not simply drop off in amnesia and cynicism and distrust and such weariness. But the second thing is this, is that he is not only the compassionate God, but he's also the creator God, and he does have the power to complete what he starts the story of Jesus after he feeds the 5,000 then walks on the water. People, of course, have all kinds of interpretations of it. But it's a profound allusion to the Old Testament. If you'll turn to Isaiah 43. Jesus says to the disciples when he gets into the boat, he says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He's been walking on the water out to them. And in Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And then flipping over to verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, 
a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse and army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. And Isaiah here is retelling the story of the Exodus And he's saying that your creator God is once again going to bring you out of slavery and out of bondage. And this is what Jesus provocatively proclaims is now happening. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I am the one who makes a way through the sea. I walk upon the waters. I part them. I bring you to safety. In me you will cross over well. And this is Jesus' promise to us. And this is what he meets our cynicism. This is what he meets our amnesia with. He calls forth faith from us. Will we allow the reality of his identity to press into the reality of our lives? That when we feel fear, when we are anxious, when it seems that the wilderness is going to overcome us or the sea simply crash upon us, can we trust him that he's the shepherd? And green pastures are what he gives to us. And so the last question is, what do we need? What do we need to sustain ourselves in that tricky spot where we're called to live in faith, to trust this Jesus and all his mighty acts, but yet we find it so hard because we're so forgetful? What do we need? takes us into the heart of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples give Jesus five loaves of bread and two fish. The emphasis is upon the five loaves, and it's interesting to note what Jesus does with them in verse 41. In taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Those four verbs, he took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. This is what Jesus does. It's interesting because in Mark chapter 14, you find these four verbs once again. It's in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, take This is my body. And exegetes from every theological persuasion cannot deny the connection. That in some way, as Jesus fed those 5,000, this was a precursor to his institution of the Lord's Supper, in which he took, he broke, he gave. And friends, what we need is that kind of communion with our Lord Jesus. We need to commune with him and the food that He gives to strengthen us along the way. And so oftentimes when it comes to our understanding of the Lord's table, is we think it is to give us a reminder that it's just simply to cure our amnesia by reminding us of the real story. But there's always been so much more to it. And our great tradition flowing down through the British Isles and from the European continent, has always said there's so much more. That this is not food to just simply help you remember, but it's food to bring you into communion with the living God. It's food to strengthen you who are weary along the way. Rowan Williams, in his short book, Being Christian, 
He says, we take Holy Communion not because we have arrived, but because we are traveling. Not because we are full, but because we are hungry. And that's why Jesus feeds the crowd in the wilderness, demonstrating that he can meet their need. And he was giving them a foretaste of a meal that was to come that would satisfy hungry and longing souls and give them sufficient strength in the journey to continue to follow. Friends, the life of faith is demanding. You'll find yourselves like the disciples rowing into the fourth watch of the night. They were only halfway across. They didn't think they were going to make it home. You'll find yourselves like the disciples, perplexed. Jesus asks you to do something and you don't feel that you have any resource to accomplish it. Faith asks you to take the step forward and you will feel that you don't have any resources. And you must look to this Jesus. He must seal His promises to your hearts. He must commune with you. He must strengthen you. That you're trusting Him not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but you're trusting Him for sufficient strength to continue to put one foot in front of the other, to continue to follow Him, to be faithful to Him, to exhaust what God's calling for you is in the world. And so we need the food He provides. We need that heavenly bread. In the great Psalms, they say it was the food of the angels. In J.R. Tolkien's mythology, it was the lymphous bread, the bread of the elves that sustained Frodo in his journey. And friends, that's what your God gives to you. He offers you intimate communion with Jesus through word and through sacrament to sustain you, to build you up, that you not get lost in cynicism and distrust, that you not get lost in your amnesia and forgetting the works of God where your heart becomes hardened because that comes easy. Everyone will help you in the world with that. But what is hard is to continue to believe, to continue to trust, and so God must seal those promises, those great things to your hearts. So let's ask Him to do so.